0: This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. So, so parents, I, I think if I've got this figured out, there's just three weeks left of this gathering. So three weeks left, you've got it all figured out now then, right? You got to be getting close, like, there's a lot of nervous laughter right now. <laughs> this is when you realize you got three weeks left, and you're like, cribes, I'm still a train wreck, maybe as bad as I was when this whole thing started, so. Uh, we're all in this together. That's that's fine. Um, but just a couple of weeks ago, I was here. I got a chance to lead this class with my wife. That was awesome. I love that. You got a chance to meet her. If you ever see her again, uh, Stacy, uh, she'd love to, to get to know you. Um, today, though, I'm sharing the stage with a really good friend of mine, uh, Lynette Hager. And I don't know if I actually say your last name right. It's Hager. It's Hager. Hager. Like,
1: hey, girl.
0: Right. I know. that's why I... I, I I got to get that right. So, so Lynette Hager. And, uh, and and the thing that I'm really excited about today, guys, this, this is awesome because when I walk into this parenting class, one of the things I really struggle with, and even when I, when I write in, out my notes, I have to like write this out on the, the top of the page, is like don't just speak to the stage of life and parenting that I'm in. Because I've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And so it's easy for me to just think only about that age range and forget that there are some in here with, with babies, and so it's like, okay, like I gotta get back to that age. Um, and there's some in here that have teenagers. And I gotta think that, that level, But but guys, to be honest, I've never parented a teenager. I did high school ministry for four years, and so I felt like I learned a lot in that time. And so I'm really excited to share the stage today with Lynette, because uh, both your boys are in their 20s, one is married, Uh, you guys have taken your lumps over the years, and uh, you'll share a lot of those today. And so, uh, especially when we start talking about things like authority and character, uh, the last thing I the last time the thing I really stressed was like parenting with a long view in mind, like for the long haul. And I think Lynette can really speak to that. And so uh, I've got a little bit of double duty this morning. I got to go down and, and cover the welcome this morning for us. And so I'm going to let Lynette take it from here, uh, lead us into a time of prayer, and then we'll get some discussion questions going at the table. And I'll reappear sometime, sometime in there. And if not, you've got it, right?
1: We'll look forward to you coming back. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right.
1: Okay, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so yes, I am Lynette Hager, and my husband, Michael Hager, uh, works at UNI, and we have two sons, Ben and Andrew, um, who are um, 20, 22 and 24. Um, we are doing um, Authority and Character today, and it was interesting, I, I went to Jake, Jake first asked me, and I went to him and I said, okay, why us and why these people? subjects. Um, And he said, we were looking at product. So Ben and Andrew are the product of our parenting Um, to an extent. I don't want to claim all of that, but they certainly are a product of living in our home. And so um, I appreciate that who they are now is something that people want to talk about. And um, yeah, I'm thankful. So I'm going to show you my people. So this is Ben and Andrew. That's what we started with. And then uh, Ben got married this July, and Andrew was his best man. And so um, Andrew is on staff here at Candeo. He's in full-time ministry, and he does um, junior high ministry and other duties as assigned. And um, Ben got married this summer to Caitlin. They met in Salt. They were Salt Company leaders. Um, Caitlin was in my discipleship group for six months before they started to date. Let me just say I highly recommend discipling your future daughter-in-law if you get that chance. Um So, that being said, um, I want to start this morning with the question, it's in your binder on page 29. We're starting and ending with the same question this week. Um, As I was kind of dialing back the clock and reviewing for this, um, this question just kind of pierced my heart because we had hard parenting years and the question is as their parent what example are you setting for your children regarding what is most worthy of their time focus and affection what is the thing that your heart most deeply desires or that you would be most devastated to lose how will a realignment of your own heart affect the way you parent your children's character this week well that is a mouthful um as I looked at this question with my husband, we agreed that some of the primary things that we focused on and valued and spent our time on um, were obedience and reputation. Uh, we, we demanded first time obedience. It, there was no counting to three in our home. If you can obey on three, you can obey on one. Um, we required a response of yes, mom, yes, dad. Um, Our authority as parents wasn't up for debate, um, but too often, and here's where my heart just starts to break, too often we landed on the side of legalism and harshness and obedience above all else. Um, Our boys were little soldiers. We could take them anywhere, weddings, funerals, movies, fancy restaurants, we could take them anywhere, and we prided ourselves on that, that these little guys could be taken anywhere, put in any situation. They would be polite, respectful, and obedient, and we knew that they would be. Um, <laughs> so the sad part about that is that the reason we did that, I understand now, is that we just didn't want them to embarrass us. We didn't want to be those parents. We just, we just didn't want to be embarrassed. We had a reputation in the community. We had a reputation with our family and our friends and in our neighborhood. And we're like, we're not going to have the embarrassing kids. So we just made sure that they weren't going to embarrass. So to the point where um, in, in our home, if crabby boys go to bed. So when they were that age in preschool, three, four, five, crabby boys go to bed. So if we were at Target and a child was tantruming, our boys would just look at each other and and agree that it must be nap time, and then just walk by tantrumer. So um, they understood that part, Um, and I'll circle back to that later. Um, But what I want to do right now is to give you a few moments to spend some time in prayer at your table over this question. Um, What do you focus your time and attention and energy on? What do you value that your kids are seeing from you and taking in as – wow, this must be really important because this is all mom and dad talk about and it's all they do and it's all we're supposed to do. So where do you focus your time and attention in revealing to them what your heart values? Um, And I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray at your tables over that and then um, I will pray with you and we'll bring it back. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning that you've given us to be together. Lord, I thank you that... um, that as parents, we do not have to go this alone. I thank you that you are a good father, Lord, and we pray that our hearts would be inclined toward you, that what we value and what we focus on, what we give our time and attention to are things that bring all the glory to you. Father, um, in this study, I know that there have been a lot of convicting things and hard things, but Lord, may we be encouraged by the fact that Our kids are not beyond your reach. And so despite our failures and in light of our wins, um, Lord, you are still God of all of it. So I pray this morning, God, that we have humble hearts and, um, yeah, just tender hearts toward your word and toward truth and good discussion. Um, And I thank you for the time you've allowed us here in Jesus' name. So in that, Cody's supposed to be back now. Got it. So um, as we're we're going to talk about authority for a little bit. And Cody walks in the door right when I said Cody's not back yet. So we're going to go here. Yeah. No, go right ahead. We finished praying. Um, Yeah. So we were talking about authority and um, what that looks like in our home. Um, A little I I told you that Michael and I tended to err on the side of um, legalism versus grace. Um, We were too harsh at times. Regrettably, um, yeah, our focus was just off at times. Um, And I said that we valued obedience and respect probably above anything else. Um, There was a time when... um, Andrew, you know, I talked about tantruming, but there was a time when Andrew would tantrum in Hobby Lobby. And I thought, I am not going to be held hostage in Hobby Lobby, nor am I not going to be able to go there because of him. So,
0: But, but the number of times I have been held hostage at Hobby Lobby because of my wife.
1: <laughs> yes, but did you tantrum? And where was your heart? Where was your heart? I might have
0: tantrum In that moment. <laughs> In other ways.
1: So one week I went to Hobby Lobby and I told Andrew that if he was going to tantrum and not allow me to enjoy my time at Hobby Lobby, I would take him home and spank him and put him to bed. So I did that and we went to Hobby Lobby three times that week um, and also went back home three times that week. But it was those kinds of things where we were like, this This is not going to be a thing. And so um, in, in that regard... Again, our authority wasn't up for debate, so if I said we're going to spend some time in Hobby Lobby and I need you to behave in this way, that was what was required. We did set them up to be successful. We talked about, I know that when you go to this person's house, they're allowed to do this and this. You're not. I know that sometimes when we come to church early, kids are running around in the sanctuary, but you're not. And so just setting them up to understand, here's what we do here's what other people do. Sometimes that's the same. Sometimes that's not. Um, yeah.
0: So should we go to the discussion questions at yes. the table then? So yes. so now that Lynette's kind of laid her soul before you in some of these things... Uh, I want you to do that at your table. So these are the two questions I want you to spend just the next 10 minutes on, and then we'll jump back in. And guys, one of my goals that I have today, you know, I'm a talker. I do want to create some level of just create, like space for Q&A. And so if there's just questions that emerge at your table, uh, kind of maybe jot those down, and, and we'll try to get to those at some point today. But here's the two questions we want you to orient your table discussion around in the next 10 minutes. All right, so... Guys, I'm going to create some space just for Lynette and I just to share. Um, we're not so much speaking to those questions in specific, but kind of to just the topic of the chapter, just getting into authority here. Guys, um, I, I think it's incredibly important. I, I loved him unpacking uh, the importance of understanding the, the, the self-rule issue. Um, as, as parents, I think we really have to understand this. Uh, this is a breakthrough moment for me in our, in our marriage. I remember when Troy Nesbitt was talking to me about uh, our marriage and Stacy. Because if you know Stacy, it's easy to just believe this to be true, that she's just perfect. She's like an angel. <laughs> if anybody knows her, like, she is incredible. And I remember at a certain point, uh, Troy, like, putting hands on both of my shoulders and going, like, looking me dead in the eyes. He goes, Cody, your wife is a sinner you got to know that your wife is a sinner. And I needed to hear that in a really weird way um, because I think it, it, it challenged me in my responsibility then to, to recognize, okay, and I too am a sinner, very true, but I'm going to need to lead her to a place of greater holiness. I'm going to need to lead her to places where she's currently not strong. She, she is a sinner, and when I began to like take the blinders off, It helped me just to see her and not devalue her, not love her less or anything like that at all. But it was just like good for me to like check that box. That's true. My wife said, guys, every one of your kids, I don't care if they've got brown eyes, green eyes or blue eyes, or if they're your boy or your little girl, every one of them is a sinner. They may display it in different ways, but I think it's really key for us to recognize that our kids are born as sinners. This line I read recently in a, in a book was really helpful for me. He said, people uh, aren't sinners because they sin. They sin because they are sinners. And one thing that Stacey and I are always careful to do is we never want to label our kids something, right? Oh, this is our this is our wild child. This is our disobedient one. This is our you know, whatever, you know, and, and, and we want to talk often about bad choices versus you are a bad person, that type of thing. But I do think it's helpful for us to understand that, that, that theologically what God says about our children is we have to know that fundamentally the reason that our kids sin is because they are sinners. They're not great kids that sin occasionally. And their sin issue primarily gets back to that word of self-rule. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. I think behind all of that, at least the way that I've experienced it with my kids, is this belief that they know better how to take care of themselves than we do. That they got to look out for themselves because nobody else is looking out for them. It's the same sin that Eve fell into and then Adam with her of, yeah, God's holding back something from me. I don't trust the authority of my life. I got to look out for myself because nobody else is. And guys, I think we've got to understand that the, the challenge of authority doesn't just stop with our kids. Guys, set parenting aside and let's just talk about the gospel and let's just talk about us as adults in here. Guys, the self-rule issue is your and my biggest issue. And it isn't something that you conquer when you're five or six and never deal with it again. I'm even finding here in my 30s, this lapse toward like maybe pursuing a bit more like comfort and like a little bit more me time, a little bit more like I get to do what I want to do because I deserve it at this point. And I'm realizing in a fresh way, it's like I have to continue to to discipline myself, to to press myself, to, to put myself before the Lord, to continue to be vocal in my repentance to, to call back to it. And guys, I think the only way that we can truly shepherd our kids away from self-rule toward believing that God's authority is best is if they can see it in us. Because our kids are never going to become something that we don't become. And so the question I would ask you when it comes to self-rule and authority is, how do you respond to God's authority in your life? Who determines how you spend your money? Do you or does God? If you were to open up, you know, giving statements and how you spend your money and receipts and all that and put that before your kids, would they see that your life is submitted to Jesus and trusting his authority? Or is it oriented on what you want to do? How about the way that you speak about other people? How about the way that you spend your time how about the stuff that you digest on a daily basis through your phone or through TVs or whatever? Who is the authority of your life and who tells you what to do? And I think that is key. We have to start at that with our own kids and teach them that there are there is such a thing as good authorities, that God is a good authority, that I trust him and his word over my life more than I trust my own. And then our kids can learn that not only is God like that, but even as a parent, can I be that for you in a lot of ways too? And they begin to understand and learn trust. Because we talked about this last time I was here, this upside down funnel, right? Talking about uh, control. Uh, A lot of times uh, parents, I think, parent the wrong way with the funnel that they give their kids unlimited freedom when they're born. And then as life goes on, they start to panic. So they start putting in more and more rules. And about here is when the child rebels and rejects it because like, I didn't sign up for this that the right way I think the parent is to start with more rules and control in the early years to then bring freedom along as he goes with it. But guys, in all of this though, there's never a time where they're absent of authority. You teach them here how to understand authority and good authority, and then you teach them here how to not only just simply obey, but even to delightfully submit, to choose it to even understand the why behind it, why I would do it, so that they continue to be motivated within themselves to make that decision whether you're in the room or not. That's the whole object with with character. We can get into that more and more and more. But I I wanted, Lynette, you to speak into this this one question. Uh, What kind of picture of God and his authority are your children seeing in the way that you exercise authority? When you thought of that question, where did that take you in this chapter and different thoughts that came to your mind?
1: Yeah, um, there is, there's a quote on page 116 um, where it says, you have not been given the right and power to exercise authority in the lives of your children any way you want. The opposite is true. So in that, I knew, we knew that we were painting a picture where mom and dad are in charge. That's, that's how this goes. Um, I remember one time Benjamin was three or four, and he had kind of spent the morning sort of telling me how things were going to be just sort of saying, just sort of bossing me around. And so I picked him up and sat him on the counter because I liked to be eye to eye with them. And so I said, Benjamin, who is in charge? And he said, you are. And I said, and who's in charge of mom? Dad. Who's in charge of mom and dad? God. I said, so are you in charge, Benjamin? No. And then his eyes start darting around the countertop. And he says, mom can I be in charge of the bananas? (laughs) Well, okay, you're in charge of the bananas. For the rest of the day, if anyone wants a banana, they have to ask you. So that was, you know, (laughs) really? Of all the things that he could ask But it's just the heart. It's just that heart of I need to be in charge of something. I'm going to be, I just have to be the boss of something. And so in that, um, in our day-to-day, I will say... um, my husband is a man of great integrity. He's he's a quiet man. He's a man of few words. He lives out what he believes more than he talks about it. And so the kids were, the boys were watching him, watching how he interacted with me, what his authority looked like in our home with both me and them, um... We understood that um, at times we were just hypocritical about um, they were gonna they were gonna follow and they were gonna obey and we were not obeying God's word ourselves and so it is it's hypocritical to demand that our kids submit to our authority when we're not submitting to God's authority and so we had this sort of this dichotomy of. Um, We want you to know and love Jesus. We want you to understand biblical truth. We want to lay the gospel on top of all of this. But also, we just want to be in charge of you. And so we were not super grace-filled or merciful at times. Um, I certainly don't want to paint a false picture of what it was like in our home. Um, we had super fun, and we are super funny. And so the, the kids, our kids are funny. Um, one time Benjamin was filling out a scholarship application, and he said, Mom, they want to know the primary language spoken in our home. Well, sarcasm isn't a choice, so what am I going to put? <laughs> so in that... I digress. Um, so there was a time when um, Andrew was being very disrespectful. of my, The time that he was three years old, was just mom and Andrew doing battle at every moment and he didn't do it with other people it was just me and I don't know if you find that in your home or in your homes where your kids tend to just wear mom down because I was home with them all the time and so they knew um so Andrew just got to be super disrespectful with me and I went to Michael and I said I'm I'm done like I I'm out of ideas with this kid and so he went to Andrew and he said Andrew When you disrespect mom, you disrespect my wife, and no one disrespects my wife, especially you. So this week, when you disrespect mom, she's going to call me at work, and I'm going to come home and spank you. And I looked at him, and later I was like, how many days of work do you plan on taking off? You have no idea what's going on here. So I'm like, okay. okay. So um, twice that week, and he was at the University of Nebraska, which is 20, 25 minutes from our house. So he wasn't kidding. It was a commitment. Um, and I called him twice that week, and he came home, and, and he talked him through, Andrew, I have told you that you cannot disrespect mom and here's why and he explained that and then spanked him and put him to bed and then we would just look at each other like huh? Oh. and then he's like well going back to work <laughs> I'm like well okay but I've got my phone in my hand um but in that I we recognize that um though it was important to teach them to respect authority, to be um, respectful to their teachers and coaches and other moms in the neighborhood. We knew that that was important. At the same time, we didn't always paint this, um, just this picture of grace and mercy, of God's goodness in our lives, that there's there's forgiveness and there's redemption for this and that mom and dad are disobedient too. Um, we just weren't great at that.
0: Yeah, I think something I've been meditating on recently is Romans two four. I think parents write this down and spend some time this week even just reading this verse. But but it highlights in that passage that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And one of the mistakes I've made often as a parent is believing, and, and I, I always point to Colossians 3, because I remember walking through Colossians 3, and that just really turned me apart. Three into four, because it talks about these positive attributes that we're to put on and these negative attributes that we're to put off. And so often I'm trying to inspire my children toward the positive attributes by using the negative ones, right? And so if I want my kids to be kind to one another, I'm going to raise my voice. I may even use a few choice words. And guys, there have been times where I've given myself the freedom to, to let the lion roar and drop F-bombs and S-words, whatever you want with my kids to try to get them to understand, I am dead serious. I see some nodding heads, it makes me feel better that I'm the only person in the world that is that awful of a parent. Guys, why would we ever think that the vices of human character would ever inspire virtue in our kids? And I do that all the time. I, I, I do that all the time thinking that if I'd use that, that'll be the thing that finally gets the point across. Guys, I, I believe that virtue inspires virtue, that kindness inspires kindness. And I don't think that that purely means letting your kids do whatever they want and never disciplining them. I think we really can find a great model in how God loves his people and cares for his children and how he's a combination of both strong discipline. It's clear, right and wrong. Sin always has consequences, and God never shields us from those. But at the same time, it's his kindness that continues to lead us to repentance. And so one of the things in our house that was a real breakthrough for us um, is we totally rejected timeouts. Like, we maybe have done this once or twice, particularly like Bailey is kind of one that like, Sometimes it's like, it's just better for all of us if we just get some space for a moment before we go into battle. You're nodding your head because I think you actually know how Bailey operates. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the reason, though, that we reject the timeout method is what, is what does a timeout communicate? It communicates when you make a bad choice, it puts distance between us and separates us. Guys, that is the opposite of the gospel. I actually believe that spanking displays the gospel more than timeouts because what spanking does is it both communicates discipline but never removal of relationship, right? That you're not closer to me because you do the right things and you're not further from me when you do the wrong things. I am always your dad. I love you immensely. Nothing will ever shake this. But what you did was wrong and your sin has consequences Therefore, spank, but I keep my arms wrapped around you. I communicate the gospel over you. This is how God treats us as his children. And I think even from the earliest years, I'm building into my kids a foundation, not of works-based righteousness, that my works earn God's affections, but I'm teaching them the gospel from the time they're 18 months old as I'm disciplining my children that way. Because I don't want to ever communicate distance relationships. So, Lynette, I want to do this, though, because... Uh, you, you've you got all the experience here. So I want to draw from your, like, rich well of wisdom. So imagine, because because one of the things that Trip encourages us in shepherding a child's heart is to never discipline out of anger. So imagine, I've at least got step one accomplished. I've managed to stay calm. My child's freaking out, but I've managed to stay calm. How do I, so think of a moment where you did this well. How do I combine, because he, he, this is a great challenge in this, this chapter, um, discipline with patient instruction so do you have an example of like when you did that I did actually (laughs)
1: have some of those moments praise God Um, so I was a preschool teacher for 10 years before I stayed home with the kids Amanda forgive me for repeating all the stories that you've heard before Okay, great. <laughs> so, um, so I was home with the boys, and um, when they were preschoolers, we did all the things: we played all the games, and sang all the songs, and read all the books. And we—they were some of the just the most joy-filled parenting times of my life. And one of the things that we we used um, was the fruit of the spirit and the armor of God. We used those a lot with the kids. The fruit of the spirit I had on the refrigerator, and when the boys were doing what kids do and being mean to each other and I would be like excuse me which exactly fruit is that what what is this was is this kindness I would say I don't, I don't even know what this is but when you're done with this we're going to talk about these And so we would talk about um, when you did this or that to your brother, um, were you showing kindness? Were you showing patience? Were you showing goodness? Were you showing love? Um, Are you being joyful right now? Are you being filled with these good gifts from the spirit that God has given you? And so to talk about you're either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. And with preschoolers, they understood the fruit of the spirit that when you grow good things, good things come out of you. And so um, we oftentimes um, use the fruit um, and use the armor of God where we would just talk about um, here's the things I'm going to pray for you. I did find it was super effective. I think when your children hear what you are asking God for on their behalf, that makes it really hit home for them. I think it's, it's important. while this is so important to mom that she's asking God to do this in my heart. And so I think praying over them and praying with them is important for them to hear you pray God's words back to him on their behalf so that they know what you're, what yeah. you're desiring.
0: Yeah. I, I know one thing that we did here over our vacation that we just spent together, which I love vacations for the purpose of like the intentionality that we both get to be there because it is so often where uh, I think it puts us, like Stacey and I in conflict because she's at home with the kids uh, or they're at school and she's around them often more often than I am and uh, then when I come home I get to be like the, the cool dad because I, 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 I typically the card I play as a dad and, and dads if, if you resonate with this like let's just repent to this right now but often when I come into the house I can see everything's in disarray and everybody's freaking out Stacy's freaking out. The kids are freaking out. Everybody's exasperated. And I get to be the guy that brings like perspective. That's the word I've always got in my mind. Of like, hey, it's okay. Just relax. Stacy, you just need a moment. Catch your breath. Like I get to be like the good guy. Like that's all that it needs is like, you just need to catch your breath for a second. Why don't you just take a moment, step out of the kitchen and I got this and just go back to the, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like that. that's the hero that I get to be. And I get to be like the hero for her and for the kids. Like just give a little space. Mom needs a little time, that whole thing and and i often miss like stacy's just quick comments back she's she's getting better and better at verbalizing this like you don't understand it's been like this for hours you know and and something has to happen like something and it's like it's not just like we just need to catch our breath and and i miss that so i love vacations because it gives us this opportunity to both be together and to be intentional for me to be there and to really shape our kids i feel like our kids grow and their character um, about four or five times faster during vacations than when we are doing normal life. And so we try to seize those opportunities to create that. But this last trip, one of the things that we really wanted to focus on with our kids was the, uh, um, when this, the, the kid gives themselves permission to do the evil thing back to their brother or sister because they did it first, well, they did this, so I did that. It's, it's, we call it the hurt cycle. Like this is one of the things that, that you, when you work in counseling and you, and you uh, work with people, I, I talk to a lot of people about this when it comes to like brokenness within marriage is, is the hurt cycle. Hurt people hurt people. And when it just keeps going around, eventually you get to this spot where you can't remember what the original offense was, but it doesn't matter. You're just retaliating for what they did to you and you're justified for it. And you feel totally justified for it. It's one of the things, like, I mean, what I just talked to you about right here, responding and, you know, virtue with virtue or vices with virtue, that whole thing, we unpacked that with our kids to help them understand if you want your brother or sister, though, to make better choices, to do something differently, do you think that the best way to encourage that is to hit them back? Or is it to respond with kindness? Is it to respond with forgiveness? Is it to communicate, I didn't appreciate that, but to not retaliate, you know, that type of thing. And so we are trying to help our kids understand, like, if you ever come to me or if I ever see you do something and your answer is, well, they did it to me, that doesn't work for us. Like, that is not a legitimate reason. And that was a kind of a key breakthrough for them, I think, this past week. Now, with kids, breakthroughs are... You got to start counting successes in like smaller ways now, <laughs> uh, but we'll be parenting on that one for a while. But it was just a delight. So I want to pull an audible. This is us going off script a little bit. So you all right with this? Yeah. Now we promised each other we'd feel better about it. Um, guys, I'd love to create space for this for some some Q and A though. Like, and so if there was just questions at the table or things that you're curious about, what do you want to talk about? Yes. So,
1: That is such a f- fair and horrible question. I thought we were friends. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's fair. Um, and I'm just going to steal from a little bit ahead here. Um, at points... Because our boys are so different, I mean, you could even see in the pictures, physically, they are completely different. Also, personality-wise and disposition-wise, completely different. However, we parented the same, and that was a mistake. So Benjamin, our older one, um, is a very sensitive soul. Um, He's a perfectionist. He wants to do everything right. So with us saying, you must obey to get our approval, and he would fail in that, then he would feel crushed. And so there were too many times then where, where he felt crushed by the weight of our expectations. Um, Andrew, on the other hand, um, he is challenge accepted. And so in his heart, he was just going to be the best at everything. And so whatever he put his mind to, he was going to be the best so he could not be called out. What that resulted in, though, is that he went through a couple of years of just lying about everything. He lied if he got in trouble at school or in the neighborhood or whatever because he was just covering up so that he was still approved by us as being the great and wonderful child. Where that all comes in, where the product is a result of God's goodness, is that you need to know that God sends people to stand in the gaps And so, yes, we loved our children, and yes, we read the Bible and pointed them to Jesus and faithfully took them to church and and did all the things. But where we fell short, other people stepped in. And this is why you need to be in community with other believers, other rock star believers who are a stage ahead of you, who can pour their wisdom into you regarding the stage that you're in. So in those gaps, wise and wonderful men walked with our boys. Um, Andrew had coaches. He had other people in his life. Benjamin at a time walked with people like uh, Austin Ward, Chad Smith, Jordan Smock, um, poured into his life in times where they revealed God's goodness. And sometimes it could have been the exact same thing that we said. Let me just say, we would pour out this wisdom, but if it came from cool college guy instead of us, It was gold. And so just allow that. Just allow that when they come home from youth group and they're like, Austin Ward said the most amazing things. And we're like, really? I wish we would have thought of that. Um, But that's okay. That's fine. It's fine. He spoke truth. It's fine. Um, So, in that, yeah, I do believe that God honored our faithfulness in the times we were faithful. I also believe that He's brought people to stand in the gaps at times when we were failing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a key principle in there though, of raising your kids in the community that you're a part of, guys. I always feel like there's a level in which I hold back from saying this because I realize that it can be covered with a lot of bias. You know, it's like, oh, you're the pastor of course you said, guys. But but raising your kids in the church for you to be actively involved in the church is incredibly important. And I'm not talking because of your money or whatever gain you feel like we're gonna get from it. I'm talking about for your family's benefit because that's what your kids experience was raising uh, your family in community allowed for other people to continue to shepherd and pour into not only you, but your whole family. That's one of the things that we're really stressing within our connection groups is not just knowing each other as the adults, but how do you involve the kids in that as well? Because I I want Greg Horton to be able to call out Caden or Jacoby if he sees them in sin and them respond to it. Um, One of the things that that blew my mind, I, I was at a conference years ago, and I wish I could remember the exact statistic that was given, but this guy was talking about that if your child has five adults in their life that they see as spiritual role models, leaders, people that can speak into their life, the likelihood of that person carrying their faith from childhood into adulthood goes up. I think that the percentage is like five times higher than if they were walking just with you and your family. Just the strength of them being able to walk around. And so I love the fact like we've been able to raise our boys in the context. Now I have an unfair advantage, but just be raised among just awesome, incredible people that our boys, you know, they watched Matt Snyder cry at our dinner table as him and Bethany were moving to Southeast Asia. And it was a beautiful thing because it just, I wanted to look at our boys and be like, yeah. And you might do the same thing someday. I might do the same thing someday. We were not meant to live in the same cul-de-sac for the rest of our lives. And they're watching Matt go. And then to then take Jacoby with me to go visit Matt and watch those two cry in the airport as they hug. Because that friendship meant so much to both of them. Matt's like 15 years older than Jacoby, you know, but it just had mattered so much. And so that friendship, watching them respond to adults, speaking into the life, building that relationship. Um, my mother-in-law was at our house once watching Matt and Bethany lead because we were gone for a weekend and she was kind of in like the pass-off zone of like they had watched her kids for a few days. She was going to watch them for the next few days. But Jacoby had done something really mean and watched Matt um didn't, when I say discipline, didn't spank our boys. We don't give permission to, to others on that. But watched Matt engage Jacoby as a father-like figure for him and watched Jacoby respond. And she's, to this day, she'll talk about that more than anything else when she talks about our church, of like what makes our church special. And I think it's because we do keep and care for each other. And I think that that's really important. So. <laughs> Man, I have so many questions I want to ask though about your your boys. If you can, I can I ask you this then, because I know when you were talking to me last uh, two three weeks ago in my office, um, and you've stated this before, uh, you've got a ton of regret. Mm-hmm. Things that, and I think as parents we'll all have that, like things that we look back and wish we had done differently. What is the thing though that you really wish you could go back and do differently? Maybe you've already said it, but like just draw it out a little bit, make it abundantly clear. What's the thing you really wish you could have gone back and done differently, having now been on this side of things? Praise God your boys turned out great. Yeah. But
1: they are awesome, by the way. Um, I would say to that that um our marriage was kind of a mess in a lot of that. So you can't come out of um, you can't be uh, on the struggle bus in your marriage and being a hot mess in your marriage and have a strong place from which to parent together. So I felt very much at times that we were parenting separately and we weren't together on some things. And so, um, for our parenting, I wish more than anything that we would have spent more time focusing on our marriage with the same intensity and high expectations that we set in our parenting life. But we didn't give the time and attention and um, drawing other people in. Um, We just quietly and secretly walked through this time of what are we even doing? Um, And it was hard and it was icky. Um, And the boys know that and they felt that and our parenting felt that. And um, very much though, um, the sweet thing about having adult children, especially children who are walking with the Lord, is that you can still go back to them and seek forgiveness. And Michael and I have been able, I didn't even know um, that we had done this separately. Again, us doing things separately. Um, he, he had gone to the boys at different times and I had gone to the boys at different times since they've been grown and asked their forgiveness for very specific things. Um, and that has been so healing and just so refining in our own walk and in the um, sort of the feel of our family right now.
0: Can I ask you one more question? I'm sorry. I, I told you guys that you could ask questions, but... Uh, dang it. <laughs> I got one last one um, how do we keep perspective uh, when things get really bad uh, you you and Michael had some really dark days in the midst of parenting your boys where yeah now that you're on this side of it, you can look back and poof, easy, but in the moment you know when you've you've got a, a son that's in court hearings for some of the decisions he's made you've got uh You've got issues where you're pulling kids out of school. I mean, just different things that are going on around them. I mean, there were some awful days.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. How, how do we keep perspective?
1: Yeah, in that I, I will say that in those hard times, um, because because of Benjamin's just anger toward us and his resistance toward our authority, then at, when he was an older teen, um, and ended up making some really unfortunate decisions, and he got to a place where we couldn't help him except for getting an attorney, Um, but in that, those hard things, hard things with Andrew, we pulled him out of one school and stuck him in another one because we were just over it, Um, what God did, though, is those were turning points in our marriage, and so in the darkest days, then we realized who we were as a married couple what God had for us together as husband and wife as we were going to walk through this. And so our perspective became then in these hard, hard times is, guess what? All the disciplining in the world, all of the coming home from work and spanking, all of those things, the the fruit of the spirit hanging on the refrigerator, all fine. But those things in the darkest of days didn't cover over what we needed to walk through. Um, So I would say um, the perspective then is that God is so much bigger than all of it. And he has such a bigger, better plan than we ever did. The smallness of our parenting, the short-sightedness of our parenting in some of those moments um, just led to show us that God was going to show up in a huge way. And so back to the product of who they are is because in those hardest, terriblest moments, um, God showed his goodness and mercy um, and he was merciful and he has been good and kind in that.
0: Praise God. Questions? I'll, I'll be faithful to it this time. any other questions? Please. Um, about a lot, the from when they are really
1: little and what that looks
0: like Yeah. What are you doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, kids are little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go first to kind of, kind of where my mind, cause I go the, the earliest years. Um, I know for Stacy and I, when we, we had infants, the things that, that was good and, and we didn't know anything guys. And, and I think we live in this day and age where we're like, we feel this pressure to read a few blogs and then act like we're experts and we're not. And I was really grateful that we had a friend that was honest enough with us before we had Jacoby just to go, you don't know what you're doing. Don't act like you know what you're doing. You've never been a parent before call me anytime you have a question you'll never ask me a dumb question I was just grateful for her friendship because she I then tested her on it and she really meant it and so we made a lot of phone calls that you didn't make with your second kid but the first one you did because you I mean the number of times we thought Jacoby was dying when he wasn't it was kind of absurd um but but I think one of the things I was really grateful for was was the community of people that was, trying, was, was really trying to help us raise our child in a way um, that, that we weren't going to be child-centric, but but we were inviting our child into the life that we were we were running in. And so, um, and I, I think I've sadly, I've seen so many people when they have a child, it's like they're like, get out of life card, where it's like, all of a sudden, you just don't see them anymore. They're not socializing anymore. They're not in connection groups anymore. They're not whatever. And from the earliest days, like, no, this child's going to fit into our life and you're going to learn how to run with our rhythms. And so, um, yeah, we, we got our child onto a schedule very early. All of our kids were able to get onto schedules pretty early. Uh, we're not maybe as rigid as some people are on that, but there was a very definite, like, when's nap time, when's sleep time, when are we eating, when are we not eating, those types of things. Like, we got them on a schedule and on a rhythm. And I think from the earliest days, that's one of the best things you can do is get your child on that, that rhythm. I've now kind of gotten past the baby stage. So I can't remember all of the language of that. And so there's probably some in the room that'd be better to speak to that one. Um, I think then the second question that comes up is like, how young is too young to spank? Um, I have a hard time. The more and more that like our kids, like we, the more kids that we had, that, that age probably went backwards a little bit. Like I think we probably spanked Jacoby pretty early. And then it was just hard for me to spank our children when I felt like they could not mentally connect what was happening. I'm being disciplined for this choice. And so there's a line there where that's a little bit probably different and moves a bit with each kid, but I had to think through that. Okay, like, are they gonna be able to understand this choice leads to this consequence, put two together, don't make that choice again, and just kind of go that route. And so the mic went up, so pause for a moment.
1: Wow, way way to notice. Um, I had a mentor mom in my life at that time, and she said... Teach, 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 discipline. And so in those moments, you get to teach them, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. Then once you have taught, then they get to a place where they are openly defiant. So we did spank for open defiance, um, not for childish behaviors because children do childish things. So that wasn't a thing. But um, in that... um, like one time, even not little, little, but when Andrew was bigger, he we had a ton of boys in our neighborhood and he would run out the front door and slam it. I got so tired of the slamming the door thing. So I said, Andrew, I feel like I have not taught you how to properly close a door and I'm so sorry about that. So we're just gonna take some time and we're gonna learn how to shut the front door. And I made him open and close it 50 times properly before he could go outside and he never slammed the door again. So in out. that, it's teach, 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 teach. And then you realize maybe you didn't teach that, and so you go back.
0: And and I think that that's, that's kind of where we're starting to get with our older two. I mean, we, um, gosh, guys, we spank a lot in, like, the two, three, and four range. And we always feel like we've done our job uh, if by the time that they're about four, like, they're starting to now knowingly make the right choices and avoid wrong choices for the most part for some reason four has always been kind of a magic number for us like again if we've been intentional there's something about like the age of four where they become a little bit more aware I remember it was like the week of Jacoby's birthday when he turned four and he was walking across our backyard and he saw us raking leaves and he looked over at Stacy and he goes mom do you need help and we both looked at each other and I about fell over backwards like oh my gosh are we to that stage of life now? That would be amazing. You know, that was our, that was our first. Jacoby was our oldest. And so, but it's been true. Like at about the age of four, like we seem to like always turn a corner that if we've been on it and, and very focused, um, that, that starts, to, um, I, I think, uh, gosh, um, you know, we're probably at this point now where we're spanking Trevor uh, once or twice a month. He's six. Caden, uh, it's maybe, gosh, or Jacoby. I mean, at that age, once or twice a year. I mean, we're kind of now beyond that as a form of discipline for them. Um, there's other things that we'll kind of employ now as far as removing certain privileges or, and each kid's different. I mean, Jacoby yeah, is incredibly. It's
1: that they value. Yes, and, and
0: Jacoby is incredibly sensitive, you know. So Jacoby yesterday um, had a moment where he yelled back at Stacy and I in a moment of rage as he was kind of going down the steps. And I just was like, nope, no, 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 no. Come back up here. Guys, even making him stop and come back upstairs is enough almost punishment for his little heart. I mean, he's the type of kid that like when he does something wrong, if you just look at him, he'll start to cry. And so he, all I did, this is all I did, is I just brought him upstairs. I said, I want you to sit there on the couch here with me. I'm reading here. He sat there. We just sat while I'm reading for five minutes. I looked at him, I said, bud, what you did, like, was that a right thing? And he's like, No, I was wrong. I said, Talk to me about it. He goes, I'm sorry. I should have never done that. I said, Awesome. I love you so much. You're a great kid. And off he went. That was it. That was my only discipline. So kind of I, I guess that would be kind of some of the ways I describe it. I do think, guys, um, we've got like a few minutes left. Do you mind if I try to bring some closure? Um Guys, I think we have to understand, and I love that, that, that Jake and Sarah, you tied these two chapters together, authority and character, because guys, it is incredibly important that your child understands authority. They understand the sin of self-rule, and they understand the importance of authority. But if that is all you teach them, you have missed the most important part. Because at the end of the day, it's not purely about just getting them to do the right thing. It's about getting them to the spot where they understand why they want to do the right thing. And they will do it on their own. That's what character is. It's who you are when no one is watching. And authority gets to that spot where, yeah, I'll be obedient when mom and dad ask me to do something. But I want to get you to the spot where you are able to operate and to think and to maneuver. And And I think that's where character really comes in. And I love... It's like, ah, authority gets you like so far there. But it's that last part is what you're really sh- like shooting for, that you would shape who they are. And at that point, guys, you have to get beyond just purely what's a good choice and a bad choice, but why is it a good choice? And why do we do that? Yeah. Why, when we're sitting on an airplane and Bailey's kicking the seat in front of her and annoying the person in front of her, I don't just tell her what to do. Stop it. I explain why you don't do that. All right? But yeah, the person in front of you, that, that affects them, it bothers them, it annoys them. I, you'd want to be mindful of the people around you. Like, I love that you guys use that language a lot with your boys growing up. I love that language. Um, why are we generous? That type of a thing. Because, guys, it's easy to be a dog trainer. Like dog training's easy. We could all be good at that. It's really hard to shepherd and disciple a young soul and to help them move from being a place where they delight in sin to actually love Jesus, have been transformed by him and now desire to do what is right. And in that, you set the pace. I, I-, I want to throw this last little illustration at you and I- I'll kind of leave you with this today. I-, I don't think I shared this last time, guys. I'll be honest, it's- my mind and memory is a little bit fuzzy. Um, but I want to go back to this because, guys, when it comes to character and it comes to authority, I think at the end of the day, the thing that we should be thinking about is not just so much how are we going to take care of our kids and parent better, but actually what does this mean for our lives ourselves? Um, I had a conversation a few years back with a good friend of mine, still a great friend of mine today. His name's Mike McVicker. He's got five adult kids, all grown. I think his oldest is about 34 um, I remember when I was doing high school ministry, his oldest was beginning to rebel very hardcore, had moved out of their house, had moved in with her boyfriend. She was 17 at the time. Uh, they were doing drugs together. It was a very discouraging thing for Mike. This was their oldest daughter. They had four daughters, one, one boy. And not only were they watching their oldest daughter run down that path, but they're beginning to watch their 15 year old daughter seemingly kind of take the similar steps. And now panic begins to set in. And Mike was a stud. Mike and his wife, Teresa, are amazing people. Mike was the first ever person hired onto Salt Company staff. When Troy started Salt Company years ago and all that, he hired Mike as his first ever freshman group director. I mean, just a great godly guy, and he's watching his family fall apart. And he, he, him and I were meeting together on a weekly basis because I was trying to recruit him to be a, a high school parent. Uh, volunteer. And every time we'd get together, I'd make the same sales pitch for him to do it. He'd go, ah, I got to think about it. And then we'd go off on random topics and talk for a while. And then three weeks later, he'd be like, Hey, let's grab lunch again. And what did you want to talk about again? I said, I want you to help me with, and we'd get off on these tangents. And I was grateful because <laughs> while it never actually resulted in him jumping on board with us, <laughs> it, it led to this critical conversation. I remember one day he came in. We were sitting at Hickory Park, if you've ever been there. They got those massive menus and the crayons on the table. He flips it over, and he goes, my wife and I just had a breakthrough the other night. We're, we're reading this book, and this, this book had a, had a guy in it that has the exact same situation going on that, that we have going on, and here was the, the counsel that he got. This guy was sitting down explaining the situation to this counsel, and this counsel looks back at him and he says, here's your issue right now. That 16-year-old boy is writing a more compelling story for her life than you are. That's why she's enamored with it. See, here's your issue. Her whole life, as you've raised her, you've told your daughter that following Jesus changes everything, that it's an adventure, that it it, it takes you to places you never imagined and causes you to do things you never imagined. And yet she looks at your life and she goes, oh, but our house is like everybody else's on the cul-de-sac. The car we drive is like everybody else is on the call to say. The vacations we take is like everybody else in the call to say. What is the difference between our life and anybody else's life? This looks boring. That looks exciting. I want the exciting life. And this guy said, maybe it's not so much an issue with your daughter, it's an issue with you. And Mike, that really hit him. It was a cool moment. Um, he, he sat me down and he, he draws on the backside of this, this piece of paper. He goes, here's what I've decided to do. He was a he was a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual, still is. Um, he said, I'm going to take two months of, like, the money that I make over these two months, every year I'm going to begin to set it aside, and my family and I, we're going to begin to devote ourselves to an international work somewhere. Eventually they embedded themselves in some work going on in, in the Darien jungle in, in Panama and did, like, Bible translation work and were parenting, like, helping this tribal group uh like reconcile marriages and different things like that. But their family all of a sudden became about like, this is what we're going to do. So they started like at the dinner table, they were like learning Spanish together because that was one of the languages that would help them be able to get into the village. They started getting to the spot where not only was like, Hey, I'm not going to pay your way to go. You have to pay for your own plane ticket. I'll take care of everything else. Um, but then the kids started doing bake sales and different things to raise their own money, to go on this trips. So they started going down there four to five times a year. This just became the culture of their family, that this is what we're going to be invested in, um, on top of just their involvement in the local church. And eventually, lo and behold, their oldest daughter knocks on their door one day and says, hey, could I go with you sometime? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you got to learn Spanish, and you you got to pay your own way, and you got to, you know, and, and she began to want to be a part of the story that they were giving themselves, so the story that they were writing together as a family. And, guys, I'm telling you, I, I think that's a really challenging thing when it comes to, like, when it, like shaping the character of your kids. They're going to become just like you. They're not going to surpass you. All the things that you invite into your life that you say is normal, everything that you justify, they're going to figure out the way to do the same thing and probably then some. And so what pace are you setting in your household where your kids go, that's a compelling story. I want to be a, a part of that. And I think if, if, if Mike was here today, that would be the big thing he'd put before all of you when it comes to shaping your kids' characters. Maybe it's not so much about keeping them from making bad choices, but it's actually showing them what are the things in life we need to give ourselves to and modeling that well. And if you do that in the way that God calls us to, it's a pretty compelling thing that your kids go, I want to be a part of that. And I think, sadly, so often the kids are the pay centers for households, not parents. And so, guys, with that in mind, I just would love to give you space at your table. Guys, we've gone over in time, but I think it's really important for, especially if you're sitting with your spouse, just to take a moment and maybe just take two minutes and just quickly jot down something from today's class. So you go, unified point of application, Let's 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 put this into practice. Do that and then just pray, and I'll let you leave the room when you need to leave. But I don't think anybody's coming in to push us out today. So take your time. Thanks for being here.